Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. Today we are talking Charlottesville. At the beginning of every gathering for New Abbey, we talk about unity over uniformity and this reality that as we stand as a community, we hold one another's hand. And in these moments, we celebrate diversity, the fact that the person to your left or to your right is not the same as you are. And that's incredibly important to what it means to be human, uh, to how God sees us. And that when you hold this hand of this person to your left or to your right, they might be black, they might be white, they might be Republican, they might be Democrat, they might be gay, they might be straight, they might be rich, they might be poor. Um, but regardless of who they are, that we want to have unity as human beings, that we're made in God's image. And yet somehow we're here with this Charlottesville conversation, which is completely opposing to those realities uh, that we believe that we find in Jesus. Yeah, so here you are, and Corey and I have been talking a lot about Charlottesville. Uh, we've been talking about it uh, in church and all through the week, and just talking about how like how different it is from what we believe is true. Uh, but when we talk about it, there's a real uh, reality that we acknowledge up front that we didn't get here. We have been here, right? If you know anything about the history of this country, you know that Charlottesville didn't just appear out of thin air. This has been something that we have building upon, uh, that we have been founded on, and that is pervasive throughout uh, our our U.S. history. And so we have this moment uh, last weekend in Charlottesville where this becomes very public. And prior to this, it has been very sort of subtle. In the past few decades, the way white privilege has shown up in the U.S. has been subtle, right? It's been... Okay, well, the flesh-colored crayon uh, is still the color of white people. Band-Aids are still the color. Nude, tights, Santa Claus, everything has normalized whiteness, has other people of color, but it's pretty subtle and and private. And this weekend, uh, it just became very public. And so as we see our society start to push against some of those privileges, you see a huge backlash. And someone put it this way, that when you're accustomed to privilege, justice feels like oppression. So now you have these two groups going head to head, one saying we're fighting for justice and one saying we are now being oppressed, right? These, these white supremacists, these neo-Nazis. Um, and then you have people caught in the middle. And in the civil rights movement, MLK said that the biggest threat to black folks in America was not necessarily the KKK, it was the white moderate who chose to stay silent. And so now we have this public example where people are being forced to either say something, they're being tested to see what they will say. And it's kind of reminiscent of the civil rights movement when there's a march on Birmingham that sort of changed the game. And it was one of the first things that was televised. It was a, it was a children's march, and it was the one that you, you may have, have seen, but it's the one where they let the fire hoses loose on, on the protesters. So you see on TV, you have people in their homes watching uh, black and brown children being tossed around by fire hoses, okay, well, now people are forced to step up. And I think that it's a similar scene to what we just saw this weekend of, yes, we know this is happening, but now we just saw a very public display and we're being forced to choose. And people are, are speaking up, some are staying silent, but that is sort of where the church and a lot of evangelicals find themselves is you can no longer stay silent. It was in everyone's living room, right, on Saturday. Everyone saw Nazis 
neo-Nazis and white supremacists with, you know, swastikas and Confederate flags marching through uh, Virginia in 2017. So now we have to make some choices. Yeah, and that's where the conversation for you and I kind of began at a different level. And something that I appreciate about our friendship is I can just be honest with you as a white six foot two pretty milk toast man of privilege yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. um and you're not and you're not a privilege speaking of privilege yep and that when i saw my first reactions are not, not this isn't a big deal but my initial reactions are like oh these are like the people that are at the farthest end of the spectrum they're just a thousand percent crazy why would any of this matter like why are we even giving them coverage because they're just they're the 200 of the craziest folks of the 330 million Americans. And this is where I needed your perspective. Right. And so yeah. we were talking the other day and Corey said that. And I said, well, when you look at this, this crowd of people, you see, wow, look at these extremists, these radicals. And I said, I look at that and I say, look at our congressman, a policeman, my future child's physician, pediatrician. You know, we see the world differently. So as you can look at and see, these particular white folks have have gone extreme, they've gone to the other end. And as a woman of color growing up in this country, I'm saying, no, the pervasive uh, normalizing of subtle white supremacy in this country has just boiled over. These are the people I see on a daily basis. Yeah, and that and that's where we get to Donald J. Trump. 45th president, never heard of him him either, right? 45th president of these United States of America. Where I think what's so challenging for people that when they're they're reading the news or looking at the news for Charlottesville, you have KKK members who have their masks off. And so racism is unmasked in the United States. And like we said from the beginning, it's not how did we get here, it's that we've been here. And, And part of the ways that we got here is that somebody like Donald Trump was elected to the presidency. And I think the parts that I find confusing when it comes to white privilege is I'm looking on Facebook the other day and I'm kind of looking regionally for people that I know who live in the Midwest or who live in the South. And I did have one friend who lives in the South and he's actually in the Air Force in in Louisiana and he posed something against Charlottesville and even against Trump and he just gets destroyed by other military vets and people from the South. And that was kind of shocking to me Um, because we live in coastal blue, right? The Mm -hmm. liberal California where everyone voted against Trump. Um, But then I'm also looking at my in-laws and family and people that I know in the Midwest and they're posting against Charlottesville uh, as white people living in the Midwest saying like, this does not represent us. This is not who we are. This is abhorrent. This is horrible. But then I'm like, well, wait a minute. Like you're not tracking how the dominoes are falling here. Right. We don't get to say Charlottesville is horrible. This doesn't represent us. We're at the very same time we either voted for Donald Trump or were silent about mm-hmm. Donald Trump getting elected. And I heard a lot of times from people, well, I just didn't vote for anybody then. Well, like, well, that's not an that's not an option right. because the man still got voted in. And now there's KKK and neo-Nazis in Charlottesville saying, like, this person represents us. And look, he's affirming the decision that we're making. Like, we can take off the mask because the president of the United States is all about our cause. 
It's like, well, no, that's that's awful. So we didn't get here, right? We've been here for a really long time and our political choices, and more than that, our lack of integration between our faith, belief, the ways of Jesus and how we vote and how we live is more evident than ever. Yeah, and I feel like most evangelicals in the U.S. can look at a group of neo-Nazis waving Confederate flags and say, that's wrong, but yet they showed up in record numbers to vote for someone who built a platform off of saying it's us versus them. And us was white folks in America. And so I think the interesting thing with with the evangelicals is they can't justify how uh, marching in the streets is right when it becomes public, but privately we have really aligned ourselves and by we, I mean the big church, big C church, big C evangelical church in America, have aligned ourselves so closely with the empire that we can't even understand how our private actions affect the public display of white supremacy that we are seeing right now. Yeah, I think what's challenging for me about that reality is it's like you weren't tricked. You, yeah. you weren't tricked into... Exactly into this conversation, right? This is who Donald Trump has been claiming since he rode down that escalator in Trump Tower and everyone's like, no, he's never going to become president. Yeah. And then as 17 or however many GOP candidates fell by the wayside and he's the only person left. And then you have a choice to vote for somebody else. So all along the way, there was another choice. And so you don't get to be now in this place of Charlottesville happening and being like, oh, that's not us. No, that has definitely been us. As white Americans, particularly since more evangelicals voted for Donald Trump than any president in the history of the United States, that's yeah. absolutely crazy right. that that was a decision that we made. And it's yeah. wild to to be a Christian in America. By we, not me. Sorry. Right? Yeah. 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 No, but 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 that's what I'm saying. It's it's wild because I, I read scripture and I and I there's a very clear narrative of the entire thing is talking about dismantling power structures. So it's wild to be a Christian in the United States in 2017 with Donald Trump as our president, and I am so vehemently opposed to everything he stands for, but yet the people who got him into office, we claim to be the same thing. Right, and so that's something we talk about at New Abbey every week, right? Or it's it's a really big theme, I would say, of our community is how do we interpret the scriptures through the lens of power. And that, that feels re- very revolutionary for people because for, for most, at least evangelicals, and for a lot of Protestant groups, uh, particularly in the United States and in Western Europe, we don't interpret the scriptures through the lens of power because we have been the most powerful people on the planet for the last 500 years. Whether it's people in the United States or Western Europe, as they colonize the entire world, we have utilized our power and privilege in a way and have, in, in a lot of ways, evangelized a gospel of power to other people groups uh, that benefits us. Um, it benefits us because we really are doing a few things there. One of those things is we are saying we're better than you are. Or we used to use language of those are the heathens over there. Yeah. And then conveniently, those heathens were not white, right? They were people of color. Right. Um, which just creates a whole nother set of problematic issues. And so the conversation that we're having is you also don't get to say, 
Charlottesville, that's not us. But then at the same time say, but I'm about building a wall. Or I'm homophobic. Or I'm fill in the blank. Because the reality of Jesus is that anytime that you other or you create an us versus them situation between one human being and another human being or one people group and another people group, the last domino to fall there is always the domino of violence. And there's a reason why Jesus is constantly, and we've talked about this before, not just talking to his disciples about Samaritans or uh, all these other groups. He's he's like literally sitting at a well with a woman caught in adultery because Jewish rabbis would never hang out with that other. But Jesus does. Yeah. He literally goes across to Galilee and hangs out with the dude, not with one demon, but a legion of demons, it says, right? Which is a way of saying, oh yeah, I'm going to hang, I'm going to end the violence of the other, not perpetrate violence to the other. Or that like in, in, in the ancient world, people would walk miles around Samaria because those were the Mexicans, the gays, the whatever of the day that the conservative religious elite didn't want to be around because They created some perverse view of scripture that advocated for that. And Jesus says, you know what I'm going to do every time we go to Jerusalem? Walk through Samaria so that you have to be in contact with the other. Because if you don't do this, then you're going to be violent towards them. And then the finality of Jesus is instead of us being the ones who perpetrate violence on the other, I'm going to be the one who takes all of the violence of the world from the systems, from the empire, from religion, from sin, from death, whatever you want to call it, from all of the above. And I'm not going to unleash any more violence out. Um, which is, that's a radical gospel. It is. And I and I, I think, and we talk about this a lot at New Abbey, and we talk about this a lot, of it's hard to see a gospel that is meant to dismantle power when you are powerful, Right. And it's hard to understand um, how we can get to somewhere. Like we say, the moment you start othering, it leads to violence. But the church has really struggled to see that. And I think even this earlier today, uh, I was at Target getting shampoo. And you go to Target and you go to shampoo and conditioner aisles. And it says hair care, hair care, hair care, hair care, multicultural hair. Right? What? Where is the sh- yes. yes? You may not have know- noticed have, this because you yes this, because right. you, as a beacon of privilege you don't need any multi. So right, I'm yeah. literally thinking this is all sh- this entire aisle of shampoo and conditioner, but the one section of shampoo and conditioner that I personally use is labeled multicultural hair. This isn't a huge deal, but this is the beginning of an othering that leads to Charlottesville, right? Yeah. And I'm also gay. I don't know. If you- Did you know that? News alert. Yeah, okay, News yeah, alert. Yeah. Right. Um, Spoiler alert. But it's interesting to watch dies. to watch the church say <laughs> to see the church say things like, "Well, I can't, you know, bake a cake for your wedding, but I love you," or "I can't do these things." It's the beginning of saying you are different, and so we have an entire evangelical church that is at the helm of power on the highest level in this country deciding how they will and will not other people. And so I can only imagine how just upsetting it is to re-engage with the, the faith tradition of Christ that says, 
I literally came to dismantle all of that to take like all of the power that you have is what uh, I came to to unravel and destroy. Yeah, and so for me, this is where I want to just like move out a little bit, create a little bit broader perspective of how we understand the dominoes of when we look at Charlottesville and we pretend that somehow we don't have. Let me say me as a as a as a white male. Um, as someone who grew up in an evangelical context, that we pretend somehow that we don't have a part to play in what took place there. And all I need to do is look at history and look at the ignorance that took place for a long time um, of us denying our our powerful role and how it did horrible things to the world. And my example for that is World War One and World War Two. Like, how do we not own more often the reality that World War One and World War Two started? in Western Europe, in places where the church had been the power structure for 1,500, almost 2,000 years, and the greatest theological thinkers and schools were taking place in Europe at the time. And there was still a powerful church that was there, Yet they did nothing to prevent, really, in a lot of ways, the atrocities that took place in World War One and World War Two. And why? Because they were powerful people who couldn't see what was going on. And so even as millions of people are being killed around them, uh, there's not a lot of commentary that takes place until well after the fact. So for us, it's we need history mm-hmm. to to say like, oh, yeah, you've been here a long time. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think what's interesting, uh, which we also talk a lot about at New Abbey, is, is that whenever we, we look at, at what Jesus is saying, what, what Scripture is saying, it, it always offers this counter-narrative to what the empire of the day is saying. And the counter-narrative is, is not the popular narrative, right? It's not the, uh, the biggest, um, it seems to sometimes become the loudest, but but the idea is we're saying something different than the empires of that day. And so when we see the church get powerful and they sort of become the empire, it's really confusing, I think, and, and conflicting to try to then enter a counter-narrative, like you said, with World War I and World War II. Scripture is the obvious counter-narrative to that, but they are the, the powerful empire of the day. So how do we create that that small group loud voice counter narrative that works sort of against the empire yeah and and the empire right in a lot of ways just represents the reality of where the majority powerful culture is Mm -hmm. and so there's still a lot of the majority powerful culture in the united states that is participating in racism whether it's overtly like we see in charles um charlottesville or it's um subversive like we experience at Target, right? Or the other day I'm having lunch with somebody and we're at a Vietnamese restaurant and uh, a friend I'm with orders a Vietnamese coffee and a couple sits down next to us and this older white woman says, oh, does does the, their coffee taste like ours, right? And it's just like a subtle comment, right. but it was a subtle comment of racism. Yeah, like we're in charge. Yeah. We, this is right. our Yeah, place. you know, our coffee is yeah. the normal tasting mm-hmm. coffee. Yes. Right? It's the white crayon. Yeah. It's the normal hair mm-hmm. products, whatever you want yeah. it to be. Um, and we don't recognize how all of these things are connected. 
and and something that's really really important in in the Jesus narrative is that Jesus comes to reconcile all things. Yeah. And so, if we are participating in racism, or homophobia, or xenophobia, or whatever phobia or ism that you want to to participate in, then you're participating somehow in the hurt of the world. Yeah. And when you get hurt, then you're only going to hurt people in return. And these white supremacists are marching on Charlottesville because somehow in their belief, they're hurt, right? Yeah. And we keep can't keep propagating the hurt of the world. We need to somehow say no to this violence and these lies that produce isms and othering between us. Um, and we need to move to the other side. We need to participate somehow in, in, in transformed people. Transforming people. Transform people. And that's something you know we we also talk about is is if hurt people hurt people, and oppressed people oppress people, then transformed people transform people. Yeah, and you transform by realizing that you have a part to play in one of the isms, right? Yeah, it's part of it is just the beginning place of awareness. Yeah. yeah, and there's so much reclaiming, you know, and even in the past few years of my life, I look and I'm like, oh my gosh, I I feel like I have reclaimed so much of of this faith tradition, uh, so much of, of unpacking and understanding scripture in a new way, of understanding God in a bigger way. And that has directly correlated to my dismantling of both systemic power structures I see, but also within myself, right? Yeah. And that is the transformation that I want to, to pass on rather than the sort of the blind dogmatic thinking of this is how we do things. Because if God gets bigger, if I become more transformed, that's what I share. And, and so you just said something that's really helpful though, right? Mm -hmm. Is part of being transformed is you're able to critique yourself. Yeah. And one of the things that we're seeing when we participate in the isms of the world or what's happening in Charlottesville is a group of people is not able to critique themselves, mm -hmm. so they critique others. Yeah. And it's crucial in this conversation. You have to be able to critique yourself and love yourself all at the same time. Mm -hmm. And a large portion of the scriptures critique itself. The prophets are constantly critiquing Israel and where they're at. And Jesus is critiquing right Israel and where it's at. And Paul is critiquing the church and where it's at in its fledgling stage. And we need to be able to do that because if we are, are unable, if our ego is so big, if our insecurities mm -hmm. are so high, um, then we are bound to swing the pendulum on the other side to yeah. other another human being and to eventually perpetuate violence against them instead of critiquing where we're at so that we can end the violence in the isms, in the ideologies that hurt and destroy other people's lives. Absolutely. And I think that is is so much of the process of, of we can sit here and critique the church, but then I also have to check myself and say, where, where do I have privilege? Where am I participating? What's going on? Um, what's going on internally here? I think that's, that's sort of the hope I have um, in moving forward is is being is being a part of that uh, transformation, being a part of communities, because at the end of the day, Christianity in its inception was was small small groups of people, loud voice, right? Just just offering this counter narrative, um, and so that's where that's where I I find hope and understanding of that's that's fine if you feel like you're the the small group with the trying to have the loudest voice, then great. Keep 
keep transforming, keep trying to transform and keep trying to offer a counter narrative to what this world offers because it will only ever continually offer a narrative of power and destruction and violence. This is a conversation we will continue to have because it's important. And as we move forward in understanding transformation and making the story of God bigger, critique is a part of that. We need to critique what we know And for a lot of us, what we know is the church. And that dismantling and that unraveling uh, can be uncomfortable and it can be hard. But there's a counter-narrative out there that is so important. And when we look at uh, our culture, we look at uh, where we are as as the big C church, or whatever you want to call it, there's some unraveling that needs to happen. There's some dismantling that needs to happen. We have been here for a long time. I think these conversations are good to start critiquing the systems, the institutions, as well as ourselves. So we hope you join us in this conversation. Uh, We hope we all become people that seek transformation to then transform and offer a counter narrative to the power structures and systems of this world, which is what our faith tradition calls us to. Thanks for listening to the New Abbey podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.